The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. This week's scripture reading comes from the book of Psalm 12 through 17. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love, so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord for God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tricia. Well, I bet by now many of you are already getting tired of hearing about New Year resolutions. Uh, this past week, I'm sure you've heard a combination of the questions. What do you want to achieve in the new year? How do you want to grow? How do you want to improve? Um, but I want to ask you a different question this morning. While setting resolutions is a great idea, I have a, a couple for this year as well. Uh, and it's important to rethink your habits. I have a different question for us, um, and that's, that's where do we begin? As we're thinking about the year ahead, and even the rest of our lives, where do we begin if we're going to make it count? If we're going to have any hope of making something meaningful out of the year, we need to first come to God in prayer. We here at Redeemer tried to begin the year this way. We've had this week spent in prayer, prayer meetings in the evenings, um, and prayer guides, and encouraging folks to pray throughout the week. And there's no better way to start the year than that. If the Lord doesn't direct our steps, then we're lost before we begin. I wonder how this week of prayer has gone for you. Uh, if you've participated at all, I wonder if you've made some time to enjoy talking with your Heavenly Father. Has your time in prayer been an encouragement to you lately? Or has it felt more like a burden, another task if you're here this morning, I'm sure you want to grow in your relationship with God this year, and, and I'm sure that you even want to grow in your prayer life. So where do we begin? Maybe we need to begin by learning how to pray. And th that, that answer may surprise you, uh, but in Luke 11, the disciples turn to Jesus and they ask him to teach them how to pray. Well, what, why do they need that? Haven't they prayed before? Is prayer something we actually need to learn? This morning, we're looking at Psalm chapter 90. So in the middle of your Bible, you can turn there now, uh, the middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms, uh, the oldest Psalm uh, is Psalm 90. And in that book, the, the longest book of the Bible, Psalms, is a book of prayers. And it's God's inspired word really teaching us how to speak to God. God's word teaching us to speak words back to God. So as we look at, at Psalm 90 and the oldest psalm in the book, we find Moses leading the people of God to ask God to make something out of their lives, to uphold the work of their hands. So as we begin this year in prayer, let's listen to God through his word so that we, he might teach us how to pray this year. If I were to try to give you the sermon in one sentence this morning, it would be that God is eternal and we are not so we pray for God to satisfy us in the days we are given. God is eternal, we are not. 
So we pray for God to satisfy us, to satisfy us in the time we are given. If you would, I wonder if you'd pray with me now that God would use the next hour, this next bit of time we have together in a meaningful way that would last. Lord, I, I thank you that you've given us life and breath this morning. I thank you that you hear, that you always hear us when we pray to you. God, I ask you to make something out of this time we have together as we're worshiping this morning. I think of what Justin said to us. It's so true that our words on our own can do nothing of lasting value. Um, I certainly can't change any hearts or bring anyone to you, but Lord, you can. You are all about changing us, saving us, rescuing us. And so God, please do that this morning. Work in us. Help us to see the truth of your word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, first point this morning is, is that the Lord is eternal. The Lord is eternal. We primarily see this in Psalm 90 verses 1 through 2. We also see it in verse 4, but we'll read verses 1 and 2 right now. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. The first thing we need to get straight here in Psalm 90 is that the God Moses is praying to is the same one who made all things. The maker of heaven and earth, the one who parted the Red Sea to rescue his people out of slavery, the one who delivered them, the one who guided them throughout the wilderness. Yet this God is the same God that you and I pray to this morning. He's not merely Moses' refuge. He is our safe place too, so you and I can go to him in prayer. Notice also the personal language that Moses uses. He refers to God, he says, you are our safe place, our refuge. Because the Lord is our refuge, we can pray to him directly. We can speak to him, we can call him you, we can call him father. We can boldly approach the throne of grace. And we can do this together. You see, this God is not just the God of Moses, and he's not just my God, or not just your God. He is our God, our refuge. Your relationship with God, including your prayer life, is not meant to only be between you and God. It's meant to also include your brothers and sisters, include the people of God around you. Now, yes, you'd be right to tell me, well, well but sometimes we're, we are called to pray on our, on our own or certainly without drawing attention to ourselves. We're never meant to pray uh, for the performance of other people. And that is certainly true. But the Bible is also full of examples of people praying together. Praying together looks like you and a family member starting the, get, the day together by praying and asking God to bless you and to go with you throughout the day. Praying together could be as spontaneous as pausing in the middle of a conversation with someone and taking a burden directly to God. Praying together might be as courageous as offering to pray for a stranger or an unbeliever or even praying for an enemy. Praying together may look like praying before, during, or after ministry with your ministry team, even here at Redeemer. In other words, praying together looks like living as though Jesus really were in the room with you, which of course he is. So if you could see him right here and right now, 
And if, and if throughout your day, if you would turn to him and say something to him or ask him something, then pause and pray. Go to him because he can hear you. He does listen to your prayers. He heard the Hebrews when they cried, deliver us. And he hears you cry out in your longest and darkest night. He's the God who saves. He saves his people out of slavery and he was with them everywhere they went. Throughout their wilderness wanderings, when they were homeless and helpless, he was their shelter. He was their home. He kept them safe and fed and clothed all through those years. And he is with you wherever this year takes you. You and I can't know what's going to happen in the year 24. But we can know that God is a refuge in every generation. The Lord is our refuge and we can come to him. He will listen and he will keep his promises because he never fails and he never changes. And this is one important way that prayer is different than our day-to-day conversations with each other. We're praying to a God who is not like us. He's greater than we are. You see, uh, in the ver- beginning of verse 1, Moses calls God Lord. You, you may know that, that often in the Bible, the word Lord refers to, the God, to God's revealed name, Yahweh. Uh, but here, it refers to his sovereign reign and rule over everyone and everything he's made. So here we're calling him the title, Lord. We're acknowledging that he reigns, he rules. The one who is our safe place is also the ruler of all. He reigns over all circumstances that come to us, and he works them all together, he promises, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose in Romans 8.32. He has not merely created everything and left creation to run on its own and do its own thing, but he is intimately involved in the details of your life. He cares about you, and he cares about you in the smallest, most minute level. The Lord rules over all creation, but he's not like his creation. All of creation has a beginning, but he has no beginning. All of us have a cause, a mother, a father. He needs no cause. He needs no beginning. He's self-sustaining, and he never changes. As the Lord told Moses at the burning bush, he is the great I am, meaning he's the one who was and who is and who is to come. He's the God of Abraham, of Moses, and of you. He's our God too. He's without beginning or end or change in the middle. Our God simply is who he says he is. And unlike us, he doesn't get tired. Unlike us, he doesn't need self-improvement or education or reform. He's always perfectly God. Perfectly who he says he is. Even the language I'm using of beginnings and middles and ends is limited when we apply it to God. He's master over even time itself. You and I exist in the stream of time. We, we're carried along by it. We can move around in it. We certainly can't imagine life without it. But he's the fountain from which it flows. And its ripples do not affect him. We change, he remains the same. Verse four says, for in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. A thousand years for you and for me is like an incomprehensible amount of time. We might throw it out flippantly, like my son Benjamin might say, uh, I'm gonna have dessert, it's gonna be a million billion years till I have my dessert. 
you and I would, might talk about a thousand years like that because none of us have experienced a millennium. Uh, it, but for God, it's a thousand years. They're like, like a grain of sand, just like all the other grains of sand, of, uh, bits of time that, that we call seconds and minutes and years. For him, it just comes and it goes. He remains the same. It's finite and he is infinite. For God, a thousand years is like yesterday. It's like the time it takes to say the sentence. And then just like that, it's gone. It's done. To him, it's finite. It comes and it goes, but he remains forever. Always holy. He's always righteous. He's always good. He's always beautiful, true, light of light. His attributes never change. And while change is all that you and I seem to do. Think about it um, from the perspective of looking at a young child, the way they grow, the way they constantly change. Uh, the younger they are, the faster they seem to change and grow. If you looked at our family photos from the past several years, you would see Benjamin and Clara dramatically change in that time. And compared to them, Maria and I have hardly changed at all, but even we have changed over that time. I have no doubt that I seem like a different man than the person Maria married 10 years ago. And for that matter, my children can tell you I change from one moment to the next. Yes, I'm fickle and unstable. He is faithful and true. We're like the falling autumn leaf that's here one moment and gone the next. He's like the mountain that the tree rests on. So when we come to God, we can count on him being just who he said he is. He is our refuge, so we can come to him in prayer knowing that he is today still the God of Moses. You and I fail to keep our word. We forget, we fall short of our intentions, but he always remembers his promises and he always keeps them. My word is unable to accomplish much at all. Me saying so doesn't make anything so, but he upholds all of creation by the power of his word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Our God, by a word, can heal the blind. He can raise the lame man. He can forgive the sinner's sins by a word. He created by a word. He holds everything together by his word. He saves us by his word. He can do everything he wants by his word. In short, the Lord is eternal, so we can rest easy. We can trust his word. We can pray with confidence that he will not leave us or forsake us because he said he won't. He is faithful and true, and he is both completely willing and completely able to do the things he's promised. On the other hand, we are often unwilling or unable to keep our word. So the first point was that the Lord is eternal. The second point is that we are mortal. We're going to look at verses four, 3 through 11. You return mankind to the dust, saying, return, descendants of Adam, for in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You end their lives, they sleep. They're like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning, it sprouts and it grows. By evening, it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years 
like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. So if Psalm 90 would teach us to begin our prayer by praising God for who he is, it then leads us to contrast who he is with who we are. And when we do that in prayer, that's called confession. Confession is our admission to God that we are not like him and we are not even the way we should be. We are not like the eternal God. He's the creator, we are the creatures. He is infinite, we are finite. He is almighty, we are all needy. These verses we just read drive home the point even the longest human life is fleeting. Outside of Ecclesiastes, which we spent time in this fall through our sermon series, this may be the chapter in the Bible that most directly confronts us with our own mortality. How long is a lifetime? A child might say it's really long. If we tried to put a number to it, we might generously estimate 90 years. According to a quick Google search, Maria Brañas, a Californian who lives in Spain, is the oldest living person at 116 years, 309 days today. The 116 years, 309 days, almost 117. The average lifespan in the U.S. is closer to 77. So, if we were to visualize this, let's imagine 77 years as a water bottle. Say that it's full at 70, when we're born, and that after, we'll say 77 years, it's empty. Picture to yourself, by that model, where's your water bottle? Mine's about halfway gone. There's more than one reason to bring a water bottle up. But, of course, if we have any humility at all, we'll realize that not only are we mortal, but our lifespans are unpredictable. We don't know how much time we're given. We don't know if we're given tomorrow. We're not guaranteed 77. We easily recognize how tragic it is when a young person dies. But, we, but realize this, that death is always, always a tragedy and it always cuts life off short. We are children of Adam. He was formed out of the dust, but you and I were not intended in the beginning to return to the dust. We were intended to live with God forever. So how long is a lifetime? The answer is not long enough to satisfy, not long enough to quench our thirst. According to Psalm 90, our lives are like yesterday like a few hours of the night. I think the implication here is not a few hours spent awake, those hours drag on. I think the implication here is it's like a few hours spent sound asleep. You fall asleep, next thing you know it's morning. Where did the time go? And that is exactly what we'll say when we meet God face to face at the end of our lives. Where did it go? It was so fast. Our lives flicker like a dream in the morning. And then they're gone. Verse 5, speaking about mankind, says they are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows. It looks so strong and promising and vital in the beginning. 
By evening, it withers and dries up. Today, many people look to science to try to extend their lives as long as possible. But that's like trying to hold the waves onto the beach. Others hope for an afterlife for their souls, if not for their bodies. Some religions hope to attain a disembodied existence. With the rise of supercomputers and artificial intelligence, others say it may one day be possible to preserve their consciousness forever. Some just live in denial, wasting our time as though our days were unlimited. Others of us say death is natural, therefore it should be accepted, even embraced. It's like the back cover of a book, they say. Death is the natural conclusion to life, so just make the most of the story in between the covers of birth and death. In other words, live, drink, and be merry while you can. But this fall in Ecclesiastes, we've seen that this life, which embraces today but will be forgotten tomorrow, is ultimately meaningless if it's all there is. The word Ecclesiastes uses is hevel, a Hebrew word, or vanity, vapor. It's here and then gone, and with it, the meaning. We might fool ourselves for a little while and say, maybe I'll be remembered, I'll leave something that lasts, I'll leave, uh, I'll have glory. But even the greatest men leave mere footprints in sand that are, that are quickly gone and forgotten. Woody Allen famously said, I don't want to live on in the hearts of my countrymen, I want to live on in my apartment. <laughs> but it's not an option. It's not on the table. Living for today simply isn't satisfying or meaningful if we won't exist tomorrow and everything we built will pass away. Even the greatest people just leave a faint memory. Our years will end with a sigh. And if this life is all that there is, then it's hevel, it's vapor. No, God has put eternity into the hearts of men and women so that we know deep down that we were meant for more than dust. And yet, because we follow our father Adam, because we join him in his rebellion against the God who gives us life, the God who made us, we are under a sentence of death. You return mankind to the dust, saying, return, descendants of Adam. You end their lives, they sleep. When we consider what we were created for, to know God, to enjoy him forever, we'll realize that even Methuselah's life was a vapor when compared to the life we were intended for. Death is our sentence. It is not our intended lot. So we confess that not only are we not like God, we are also not the way we should be, wasting our time, sinning, bringing death upon ourselves. Verse 8, you have set our sin, our iniquity before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Nothing escapes his notice. We all fall short. We all sin against God. We all stand guilty before him. We can sometimes fool each other into thinking we're good people. We can even sometimes fool ourselves into thinking that we're good and that God will accept us. But you can't fool God. And it's silly to try. No one hides their sin from God. But even though we know sin kills, we persist in it. We return to it. A few years ago, um, I read this news story. Uh, There's a woman uh, in England who woke up 
had dry eyes. I don't know if that happens to you. It happens to me now. Went to the bathroom, reached for um, eye drops. And so she reached, got the eye drops in her eye, but quickly realized that something was wrong because it started not to refresh her eye, but actually to sting. So she had accidentally, Paula Griffin, had accidentally grabbed a highly toxic nail glue that binds to the skin in seconds. She said, I managed to stop it from hitting the center of my eye, and my instinct was to close my eye. That actually ended up helping her. Um, She got to the doctors, and after eight hours, they were able to uh, remove the glue, and she could still see after. She was, she was healed. She was, she was saved. Um, but the, the poison experts say this actually isn't that uncommon. Sometimes these little glue bottles can look a little bit like something you get at a pharmacy, a little dropper on the front, maybe even a clear liquid. Um, Edward Krenzelak, a toxicologist and professor of pharmacy and pediatrics at University of Pittsburgh, said, um, nail glue like that can bond your eyelids together. And his advice is never, ever try to separate them yourself. That can do irreversible damage to your tissue. So he said, recommend, he recommends a doctor can separate the eyelids later. And a panicked attempt to separate them yourself can do a lot more damage. Griffin's case might be a, the classic example for Krenzelok's first rule of thumb in poison prevention. Always read the label. Imagine if Paula Griffin had continued to blind herself with the glue knowing it was poisonous. Friends, that's what we're like when we sin. We know sin kills. We know sin corrupts. We know it breaks our relationship with God and with each other. We know it spiritually blinds us and carries the sentence of death. We know it's poison. But we keep squeezing the bottle. If we really understood how good God is, We would never sin against him. If we really understood how terrible sin is and how seriously he takes it, we would never take the first drop. Always read the label. Verse 11 says, Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. This this question is rhetorical. No one understands because no one takes sin seriously. If we did, we would obey rather than sin. So the fear due God is great, and we don't listen to him, don't fear him, the one who made us. And so his wrath is great. God is eternal, and we are mortal. We are not. So we pray for God to satisfy us in the time we are given. We come to him in prayer asking for grace. But remember, church, brothers and sisters, remember the God that you're praying to is the same one we're reading about in Psalm 90. And don't forget verse 1. He is your refuge. He is your safe place. So even though, yes, we are guilty, even though we have wandered far from him and don't deserve his grace, don't deserve his life and his forgiveness, in Christ we can come to him in our sin and in our weakness and find mercy and grace. This is the God who inspired Moses to write this prayer. And like a gentle father teaching his child to speak, he's teaching us to pray. And he's taught us to pray praises to God for who he is. He's taught us to pray confession about who we are. But he also now teaches us to come and ask God for grace. And this is the rest of the psalm. 
We'll look at, at verses uh, 12 and following next. The point three is this. So we pray, 12 through 7. Teach us to number our days carefully that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the, satisfy us in the morning with your stiff, faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. If God is eternal and we are not, then like toddlers, we need to take our father's hand and ask him to steady our steps on our journey through this life. The requests to our heavenly father begin in verse 12. You see, teach us. And then in verse 13, turn, have compassion. And then in 14, satisfy us. And then in 15, make us rejoice. 16, let your work be seen. And 17, let the favor of the Lord be on us. Establish the work of our hands. In short, take our weak hands and our short lives and do something eternal that matters with them. Do something with us. Satisfy our hungry hearts and establish the work of our hands. We'll look at each of these requests in turn. First, verse 12, we see that we should pray that God would give us wisdom. In other words, that he would teach us the brevity of life and the importance of using our time well. Numbering our days carefully requires us to look at time as a precious gift from God and therefore not to just waste it. Whatever our lifespans, God has given us today. We have this. Let's not waste it. Let's not complain through it as though it weren't a great gift. Let's ask God to do something with it. Let's be thankful for the gift we've been given. Let's spend our lives on things that will still matter tomorrow. Let's spend our lives on a mission that will matter after we're gone and even into eternity. Let's ask God in prayer, what would you have me to do today that I'll be glad I did even in eternity with you? Second, in verse 13, we see that we should ask God for his compassion and love. Why do we need to ask God for his compassion and love? Well, first, because of who we are. We're sinners, we fall short. But, but secondly, here, as soon as we start to try to live for eternity, try not to waste our time, try not to complain, we're going to realize we're really bad at it. Uh, you don't know how out of shape you are until you get on the treadmill. And so as soon as we start to try to live in light of eternity, we're going to realize we're, we're, we're focused on me, me, me. We're focused on, on ourselves and we like complaining. And so when it's hard, we may be tempted to despair. Don't despair. Remember, he is your safe place. He's your refuge. The psalm teaches us to, that it's right to ask for him to come. He says, Lord, how long? Turn to us, have compassion. How long? And this question may feel strange. It may feel like a paradox after talking so much about how short life is to then turn around and say, how long, Lord, till you turn and have compassion? But when we understand God's goodness and our need, 
will begin to ache for home. Our homesickness will correspond to how well we know him. So we'll pray with Moses and we'll say, come soon, Lord Jesus. Turn, have compassion on your servants. We are weak and we need his strength. We're sinners and we need a savior. We're sheep who need their shepherd. We're insatiable. So we ask God, satisfy us. Have compassion on us. And then in verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. This prayer is that God would meet us in the morning at the beginning of our day or at the beginning of our week or the beginning of our new year or the beginning of the rest of our lives, that God would meet with us at the start of all this and that we would use the rest of what we've been given well. So that he would satisfy us in the morning. We pray that God would give us our daily bread, which would truly satisfy our hunger. This satisfaction that only he can give is the answer to our aching need. We ask God to fill us up, to sustain the work that he's called us to do, to satisfy us. We've tried our fill of toys and pleasures and accolades And it leaves us empty. Those things only entertain for the moment. His joy is forever. He never becomes boring. The God who made the Grand Canyon and made all of creation and cast out the galaxies, he never gets boring. The God who made both your taste buds and chocolate knows how to satisfy you. So he teaches us to come to him and satisfy us in our souls. Because only he can do it. To make us joyful. Because this is the kind of joy we were made for. And in this world, it's a defiant kind of joy. In the face of all kinds of troubles and sorrows that come from living in this world. A world marred by sin. We ask God, God, make us rejoice. In defiance of death and pain and sorrow and sickness. We stand with one foot here in this age and one foot in the age to come and we say, make us rejoice for as many days as you've humbled us, for as many years as we've seen adversity. Make us rejoice. We pray that all of the struggles of this life would one day be swallowed up in victory so that we can say with the Apostle Paul, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. This joy isn't a naive joy that doesn't know how hard life is. It's a joy that has heard the music of the world to come and knows that the movement of that music is building into a crescendo that will sweep all the cosmos into an unspeakable joy when he makes all things new. So we pray for joy and we pray with hope as we wait for that day to come. And in the meantime, We ask that God both show us his lasting works and also even allow us to participate in them with our lives. So our lives won't be spent in vain, but instead that he would establish our work so our lives would echo into eternity. Verses 16 and 17, the end of the psalm. Let your work be seen by your servants and your your splendor, your glory by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. We want to see God move in our day. 
We want to see him move in Fuquay and in Raleigh and in Concord and in Greenville, and Moldova and Montenegro and Ireland and, and the far ends of the earth and to, to distant peoples who've never heard his name. We want to see his work go forward. We want to see him move in our day. And we want him to use us to do it. Moses would teach us to pray to God, show me your glory. God, keep your promises to show mercy to a thousand generations in all the earth and use us to see it done. Since Christ rose from the tomb on that Sunday, the new creation has been spreading in the hearts of his people throughout the earth and throughout the ages. And you and I can pass on that hope to our neighbors and our children and our family by God's grace. If you want to make the most of your year, if you want your life to count for something, then pray. If you realize how short life is, then pray. If you know your weakness and his goodness, then you will pray. Anything we do apart from prayer will fall inconsequentially to the ground. But anything we do from prayer will emerge out of our hands resurrected and indestructible. Yes, even changing diapers and drying tears and building bridges and writing code and making art and caring for the sick and feeding the hungry and even giving a glass of water to the least of these. It is all redeemed and it all matters if we do it in prayer. If these verses are God's word, then take heart. His word doesn't fail. And he's teaching you to come to him and ask for grace. He's teaching you to come to him and ask him to make something out of the time you have. To, to establish the work of our hands. And if he's teaching you to pray this, he was willing and ready to answer it. And when he will... When he answers this prayer, our frail lives are swept up into his eternal life. Our weak hands are lifted up by his almighty hand so that we can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. So we can take to heart the confident words of the Apostle Paul. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He will answer the prayers he's taught us to pray. And for God to answer these prayers is for God to be with us to the end of the age and then forever. His eternal life is the answer to our need. His eternal life is the answer to our homelessness and the brevity of our own life. In Christ, our fleeting lives are established. In Christ, our wandering hearts are brought home to the refuge of our souls. God in Christ has actually immersed himself into the stream of time to be with us forever. In him, the glory of God has come to live with us. He has turned to us in compassion and love. He is our daily bread from heaven who can satisfy our deepest longings. He's the shepherd of our souls and he's bringing us home. So we pray. Give God your year. Give him your week, your day. And find out what he can make out of it. And take heart. He's your eternal home. And he's coming soon. 
So let's pray that he will satisfy us in the days that we're given. Let's pray that now. Lord God, I thank you that you hear us, that you are a God who hears prayers, that you are ready and willing to answer. Lord, that you would not leave us alone in our sin and in our weakness, but that God, you would graciously do something with our lives. So Lord, please take what we have, Lord. Our our hands are open and empty to you, but Lord, please take the time that we've been given and do something with us, Lord. Let us make something out of the lives you have given us. God, we praise you and we thank you that you both hear us and are with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.